In 2023, Woody Allen is a problematic figure, respected for his directing and filmmaking, but held at arm's length for his personal life, which is certainly sketchy and possibly criminal. But in 1977, he was at the height of his powers as an actor, comedian, writer, etc. It would probably be easier to list the show business fields he hadn't conquered. I don't believe he was a mime, but I could be wrong. Annie Hall, his biggest hit and critical success, won Best Picture that year, despite competing with a little indie pick by George Lucas. Combining postmodern ideas of film structure with metatextual elements, this movie manages to get laughs in a completely revolutionary way. The innovations in Annie Hall are so powerful they came to mark comedy forever. But can we stand watching an intimate, though fictional, portrait of someone as troubled and troubling as Woody Allen? It might be as awkward as Annie and Alvy's first meeting. So pour yourself some chilled white wine and let's cringe together. It's time for episode 79 of Toasting the Classics, Annie Hall. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, podcast where we take something that people call a classic and drink something inspired by the classic while we talk about it and decide if it's still a classic. My name is Dave MacArthur. Yeah, and my name is Clint Lanier. Welcome to our little podcast here. It's not so little. Well, it's not so little. It's getting bigger. Five people is pretty big. Five people all, starting to move up there. That's all right. Considering getting right. out of the podcast basement. Uh, so what are we doing this week, Dave? This week we're doing your pick. It was film. It was my pick. You had a film for a pick. You picked something near and dear to me geographically, if not to my right. heart. Annie Hall. Yeah. Is, maybe not Woody Allen's number one New York uh, love piece, but it's definitely mm -hmm. about New York in a lot of ways. Uh, what were you thinking when you picked it? Why'd you go for this? I wanted to do one of Woody Allen's. You know, we don't shy away from the controversial here at Toast in the Classics. Oh, no. Woody Allen is kind of like, we've done Bill Cosby. We haven't done yeah. Michael Jackson yet, but we, we probably will eventually. But Right. You know, it, it's these people that they have been canceled, but they, they were canceled at a certain point in their life. It was like when all their good stuff was done, then they got canceled. Right. And so there's this tension about about art that, OK, they're canceled and they're despicable. And we don't like them. But can we still like what they did? Can we still like the, what they made? Like Roman Polanski, can we still watch Rosemary's Baby and enjoy it or Chinatown, one of the all time masterpieces and say, this is a great film? But he's a piece of poo, you know? Yeah, it's so, so Roman Polanski, although he is in Chinatown, you do see his face in mm -hmm, the film. Mm -hmm. So that's not entirely to the point that I'm saying, but you're not mm -hmm. looking at Roman Polanski the whole time. Like True. it's a little bit with Michael Jackson is kind of in between. You're hearing Michael Jackson. Yeah. I wouldn't watching his videos is weird. No, his <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes. I watched I watched bad when we did the episode about Weird Al Yankovic just to sort of remember the, the right, spots right. for the original. And, sure. I, you know, I do it yeah. backward and forward. And it was just weird to see him. I just it's it's yeah. kind of creepy to sit there and look at him. <laughs> That's true. And That's Woody true. Allen. So obviously there's a spectrum of how much the artist is the art. Mm -hmm. And then there's right. a spectrum of what they're accused of doing. Right. I don't know where Bill Cosby versus Roman Polanski would lie, but that's the worst, I think, of these. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know the details of the Michael Jackson case. It sounds like it could have been pretty horrible. I don't really know enough. Right. Woody Allen's pretty bad, but it's a little bit less than the others, from yeah. what I've heard. We could get into that a little bit more later, but I think right. watching a Woody Allen movie, especially this one, you're mm -hmm. watching Woody Allen. If right. you don't like Woody Allen... Yeah. You're not going to like this movie. This movie is Woody yeah. Allen talking to you for an hour, an hour and, and a half. And so. you're watching it. You're watching it in his prime. This is 1977. He was like 40 right. years old. Yep. He'd been 42. doing what he, 
42. Part of, okay. Part of my biggest surprise is actually how old he was when he yeah, did that. This right. is not a well, young He was born man. in what? 35, I think. 1935. He he's yeah. he's going to be 90 in a couple yeah. of years. Here, in two he's going to be 90. That's... So I, I knew I wanted to do a Woody Allen, but I just didn't know. Okay. You know, I've seen one Woody Allen film and that was Bananas or whatever it's called, Going Bananas or something like that. Oh, okay. It was one All of right. the slapsticks, I guess late 60s. And that was the only one I'd ever seen from. And I saw it a long time ago. But, you know, you hear Woody Allen this and Woody Allen that. Uh, all the time and a master filmmaker and people are upset about again the pharaoh situation which we'll talk about however you know other people argue you can't cancel woody allen he's a genius so i was like okay what's let's let's find out what the big deal is right and and i started researching you know what is what are his biggest out of his biggest this is supposed to be like the prime woody allen because he got a best director he got a best original screenplay uh, Diane Keaton got Best uh, Actress, and then it got another award. I can't remember what the other award was off the top of my head. Um, um, it's best. It's best screenplay. He got it with Brickman together. Okay, best director best for him. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It's best. He was nominated for Best Actor and didn't okay. win. She won Best Actor and it won Best Picture. So had it yeah, won okay. Best Actor, it would have been one of the only four films in history to win right. all five top so categories. It was, it was awfully, awfully close. So this is it was really so close, this is yeah. this is considered his his major of his major work. I think because it was decorated so much. Um, it, I think it's also, AFI's. I, it's if a, you adjust for inflation, this is his biggest box office hit. Right. Right. So that I mean that there's that, and it's also like I said before, this is Woody Allen. You're watching Woody Allen for an yeah, hour and a half. Yeah, it's for sure. Hard, his for face sure. is hardly ever off the screen. Half yes. of the time, he's breaking the fourth wall and talking right yes. at you. I would venture to guess. I think he's in every scene. I mean, there's some cuts where you're seeing her on the other end of a phone yeah, conversation, true. stuff like that. There's his family a few times, but he's okay, he's yeah. front. And, I mean, it's it, it'd yeah. be trivial to say that he's not in the scene, and he's either right. talking right. on the phone or it's his family. Yes. Or, it wasn't a it, it wasn't a Hitchcock cameo. It was a it was a front and center. Well, he he. I mean, so this movie is is sort of supposed to be autobiographical. It's supposed to be about sort of about his re relationship with Diane Keaton because the two of them were a couple for a very brief time, about one or two years, and okay. it's sort of it's sort of based on their relationship. So he. Cast I kind of missed that. I was looking himself. for that because I mm -hmm. I knew the movie was written like for Diane Keaton. Right. So it is kind of supposed to be about her. I didn't really yes. realize. That. Yeah. Okay. I think Hall is her her mom's maiden name or something like that. There's like there's a reason oh. why like the name is significant as well. Yeah. So you know, they sometimes have... I have to make cuts um, when it comes to doing the research. And Diane Keaton was like fourth on the list of things I wanted to read about. I just didn't <laughs> right. get into I just didn't yeah. get into her uh, background right. as much as I probably should have, because that that would make I was wondering about the name of the film, Annie Hall. Like uh -huh. I, there was there were a whole bunch of different ideas for what to name the movie. But I wondered mm -hmm. why they landed on that and what the meaning of that was. And I, I, I guess I had always thought that probably was some kind of a reference to something and knowing Woody Allen, I figured it was a reference to something in like, you know, expressionist French cinema or something. Yeah, like that. But, right. Right. Long and the short of it, for those who haven't seen this movie, Woody Allen is, is himself essentially. He's a stand-up comedian in New York and mm -hmm. he's a very, he's a fairly prominent stand-up comedian. He does the tonight show. He's doing all the rounds. He, he, he's doing political things and he meets this up and coming actress through a friend of his, her name is Annie Hall. Uh, she immediately likes him. And he's, and he, like I said, he is himself. So Woody Allen became known for the neurotic, very Jewish type of guy, you know, that, oh, I can't do anything right because I'm Jewish or I can't fix right. a car. What are you talking about? You know, this type of, type of stuff. And he's very neurotic and he has mommy issues and all this other stuff. And it's been, it's evolved since then. But that he was kind of known as that 
And so he, he is that in this movie. And in real life, you know, it's not a stage act. That's him. But she's somehow attracted to that. And they start a relationship. I think he does play up. I think he does play. I, up I, I the, definitely uh, think he plays the, up, the neurotic yeah. Jewish guy, and maybe even kind of created that stereotype. And I think way. he did. All I'm saying is that his character in the movie is the mm-hmm. same as his stage act. That's it's all. De- yes. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, yeah, it's so I'm not saying he's. Persona, I'm not saying right, he's like right. that. I'm just saying that this character who's Alvy Singer. His yes. his is like that stage act. So, like I said, somehow she's attracted to that, and he's and and they have this wild relationship. It shows kind of the portions of a relationship. At the very beginning, it's very hot. They're doing it all the time. Then there's the middle when they sort to start to cool down a little bit, and then there's the end where you know things have definitely stopped. Uh, the magic is no longer there. Although he you know he he wants to get it back, maybe through for sentimental reasons, but she's moved on. And, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of detail in there, but that's sort of that's sort of it. And and a lot of and it's very funny. Like you said, he, he breaks the fourth wall funny. throughout yeah. talking to the audience saying, you know, can you believe this guy or can, see, here's uh-huh. what I'm talking about as she's explaining why she doesn't want to have sex with him or whatever. Yeah. One of the themes that goes through and it goes through a lot of his movies and it's got to be a part of what it's like to be Woody Allen in real life is that. You know, like we're we're watching it and she meets him and she's like attracted to him and really wants to go out with him. And it's like, yeah. what is going on there? Why would <laughs> right. why would this one right. but it's because she's not super bright and he uh, is and mm-hmm. she's attracted to that. Mm-hmm. And it's a theme in Woody Allen's movies that that there are women out there who are very attracted to a really smart guy. Yeah. And then I th- I've always thought that the other part of that is that that kind of fades pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think a woman once she gets to know you, she's she's not that interested in how smart you are. I think that <laughs> right, I think right. that fades a lot faster than physical attraction. Yeah, yeah. if you know what I mean. Well, so, I think I think there's a statement in that it, there's one part again where he breaks the fourth wall and he's like, "What do I have to do to have a good relationship?" And then he's like talking to people on the street. It doesn't really happen, but it's kind of like one of those things breaking the fourth wall. And I'm going to ask this this person. So he finds this couple walking towards them. They're very tall. They're gorgeous. Yeah. She's like a supermodel, and he's like this athletic guy. He's like. You two, you look like a happy couple. You know, how do you keep it together? And he, he looks at her and she says, well, I'm completely shallow and don't have a thought in my head. And yeah. he looks and, and then the no, guy I'm exactly says, the same. I'm, I'm exactly the same. He's like, well, yeah. I guess it works for you. You know, Yep. so <laughs> probably a statement on that. They have nothing to talk about. So they never do. It's not just that they're they're not like just bad people because they're dumb, but they're attracted, they're attracted to one another because of their physical looks. And that's pretty much that's going to be consistent as long as and like you're... he says, he says, you know, some, somehow it works for you. Right. Yeah. I exactly. mean, if, if, if one of them were intellectual, it wouldn't work. If, if either one of them were not the way they are, it only works right. because neither one has anything to say. That's, you know, halfway mm-hmm. intelligent. So they're a good looking couple, you know, yuppies basically, or what they Pretty might much. call wasps. Remember that, that acronym? White Anglo-Saxon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking about that today because I was thinking about how, I've always had this kind of strange relationship to Jewish identity mm-hmm. because my stepdad was Jewish. So mm-hmm. I was raised in a Jewish household with Jewish family members and we celebrated Jewish holidays. I am not ethnically Jewish at all, mm-hmm. but now my wife is Jewish and my kids mm-hmm. are Jewish and I run the Seder for Passover. Mm-hmm. And so I have this weird relationship with it. And I was I was thinking that through today and I was thinking like, well, because in reality, I'm a wasp. And then I was like, well, no, I'm not. I'm not Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm right, white. Right, I'm a Protestant. Right. But I'm right. like well, Scots Irish. Like it's a different right. thing. Not that that matters to anybody no. these days. The different kinds really of white people. But right, you're not um, Caucasian either. I mean, that's the thing. It's like all of the all of the oh, things that they don't say. get me don't get me yeah. started on the word Caucasian. That's yeah. a terrible. That, that's 
that's some racist thing from the past yeah. but anyway but well like i said that's so that's the crux of the movie what do you think by the way i'm gonna i'm gonna break into our drink um i oh, chose yeah, something yeah, really idea. lame um, i actually wasn't sure why was is that what they're drinking when they first meet at the apartment yeah yeah so she okay, she brings out thinking. burgundy burgundy white wine at the apartment a half open bottle at her lousy little apartment with bugs in it and they drink out of she has a wine glass and he just has like some dinky glass and she right. pours them so and that's kind of typical you're in your 20s and yeah you know, no, no money and anyway i'm so glad i did because i i worked outside a lot this morning and i'm and that's uh, not a bad pick for being outside in the new mexico chilled white wine that's right so what's the temperature here's... today in, in southern new mexico it's hitting well it's been hitting the 90s it's slowly yeah. creeping up so we haven't really yes. broken into the 80s yet in new york yet but it'll be there but so far it's really been kind of mild oh much better other than so, the orange firewood yeah, hell going on last week but i will yeah. say there there are a lot of cocktails out there there's a woody allen cocktail Okay, and it was—it's apparently something that was served in, I think, Midnight in Paris or something like that. In one of his other movies, there's also another one that I thought was kind of funny. Uh, and that one, I thought, yeah, that didn't make sense because it was a different movie. And then there's one called The Analyst, which I thought that's kind of funny, <laughs> you know, because they're always going oh. to to an analyst. But it was pretty complicated. And then I thought, well, you know, Woody Allen was the pitchman for Smirnoff in I the, I think, the fifties and sixties. And there are tons of ads for for Smirnoff with him in it. Or the other one that he would always pitch was the Moscow Mule, which I think Smirnoff created with with the help of a of a ginger beer company. So I was like, eh, maybe the, one of those two. But I just figured go with something easy, something from the movie. So when you watch the movie, ha, you know, chill some white wine. I think they drink wine kind of throughout the movie. There aren't, aren't really very many allusions to cocktails we could have done cocaine but i figured well this is a family-friendly podcast yeah that might have been a little maybe weird. not <laughs> remember in uh naked gun when he's when he's like heroin he's like well that's kind of a tall order nordberg i was thinking about that like if you were like get get cocaine it'd be like it's kind of a tall order nordberg <laughs> right, right, right. so you were asking me what i thought of this movie so when i was growing up i remember like i'd get books about the history of movies and the oscars and stuff this is for for those younger people out there you couldn't just look up all this stuff on the internet you had to have this thing made of paper called a book that would have ink runes inscribed on it that you could read and, and get information from i used to always read that star wars lost best picture in 1977 to annie hall and so in my mind yeah. annie hall was huh. this piece of crap movie that i never wanted to watch because <laughs> it beat star wars for best picture yeah i did finally watch it i think when i was working at a video store and i was just taking home everything that, that mm -hmm. i never heard of to watch it turns out that I, I i liked it a lot i thought it was a really a really good movie i was old enough and mature enough to get it and and to be able to put myself in the mind of 1977 and enjoy the movie but i didn't remember a lot other than sort of the one-liners yeah. of the movie so i was coming to it pretty new this time fairly <laughs> new i've seen a lot of other woody allen movies my dad's a huge woody allen fan so i saw growing up i watched sleeper i don't remember seeing bananas i saw manhattan i, I recently saw Midnight in Paris. That's really, mm -hmm. that's a good one. I didn't even really realize that was a Woody Allen movie. Um, Match Point is really good. Love and Death. I remember watching that when I was a kid. So I definitely knew Woody Allen quite a bit when I was growing up. My dad had this thing where when I was a little, when I was a little tiny kid, we, they lived in Iowa and Woody Allen was supposed to come and do a show at the University of Iowa in the middle of the winter. And so my mom and my dad drove out to Iowa City, which was like an hour away or whatever. They got there and this huge snowstorm hit. 
So Woody Allen had already gotten to the campus, but only like 10 other people showed up. So Woody Allen went ahead with the show and just sat with my parents with my parents and like eight other people in a room and just talked to them for, you know, did his comedy bit and sort of chatted with everyone for an hour. Oh, that's cool. And this would have been in about 1973, 1974, when he was, you know, kind of starting out. He was he was definitely a a big star already, but this would, would have been before Annie Hall. So, yeah. Um, pretty cool to get to meet him, I think. So yeah, he, that's, he was that's always fantastic. a big favorite of my dad's. Yeah, well, I can I can see that. Geez, by that time, he would have had like three or four movies under his belt, though. I think know? so. Yeah, I think he already um, had done Sleeper and a couple of other things by then. And I didn't realize that he would he would sub for Johnny Carson. Like he would was one of the, you know, every now and then Johnny Carson would be on vacation or whatever, and they would have these guest hosts. Mm-hmm. And, and he was one of them. Like he would, he yeah. subbed a few times for Johnny Carson. I'm sorry. You said he, he subbed, like hosted yeah. the show. For, yeah. I he hosted the show. Yeah. Like for another comedian at the last no, minute. No. Oh, wow. That's um, actually. And I didn't realize that he was, I mean, I knew about the writing and the directing, but I didn't realize the stand up comedy that he was such a prolific comic. You know, he, he uh, did stand up with Lenny Bruce and George Carlin mm-hmm. and a lot of those pretty cutting edge comedians of the, of the late sixties. And, yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, it's a New York. He was a New York guy, so it's the the New York. And you can tell in Annie Hall. He he did a couple of bits getting up on the stage in Annie Hall, yeah. and I was thinking, oh, he he must have been a stand up comic. I mean, maybe I already knew that, but I looked up some of his but his bits on YouTube, and mm-hmm. he's really funny. He's funnier. Oh, he is. I thought yeah. he came across as being funnier than I thought he would be. Like he's very animated. Right. He tells the yeah. stories more. He's not quite as nebbish mm-hmm. in the stand up bits as nebbish, he is yeah. in Annie Hall. Yeah, so yeah. he's um he's a lot more animated and like mm-hmm. talking. He's actually I thought super funny. I thought I thought yeah. it's actually more entertaining than I expected. Some of the stand up comedy from the sixties holds up. I've always just loved Bob Newhart. Like I'll I'll, yeah. I'll listen yeah. to those anytime. <laughs> but you know for the most part you wouldn't expect it to hold up terribly well. Sure. But he's he's really he's really smart comic and it comes through. And, and I thought he was great. Uh, well, that was, was sort of what funny. he was known for. I mean, uh, Woody Allen was very much an intellectual, and yeah. which is funny because he he didn't go to college. You know. Which just shows that college has nothing to do with with intelligence. But in any case, he was certainly has nothing to do with intelligence, but he definitely comes across. There is no way you could have Woody Allen and not go to college and be from anywhere but New York. His knowledge of the arts is like is the kind of thing you just could not pick up. He just he well, he's well read. I mean, he he read voraciously. And and he also and like you said, I mean, you know, so one of the one of the running gags in the movie is there's this there's a, a movie, a documentary they always go to about about the Nazis. What is it called? I'm trying to remember. I didn't write it down. The, it's the like something pity and the, the sorrow or yeah, something. Yeah, pity or, and the sorrow or something like that. Sorrow and the anguish or something. Yeah, something. And that, that's and a really like funny a, bit. It's like a it's like a super depressing four hour documentary about yeah. the Nazis and the Holocaust and the French and all sorts of stuff. Because there's a couple and, of, there's a couple of parts where she'll be like, "Well, then what do you want to do tonight?" And then it cuts yeah. to them. Watching <laughs> that the cuts to that, right? Well, and before that, they were at Ingrid Berg. Bergman, like Swedish right, film, right, you know, yeah, Swedish yeah. subtitled film. But the point is, like, he would really do that. He was into that. You know, he would watch foreign films oh, yeah. all the time. And so he was he was very much an intellectual. Voltaire didn't go to college, <laughs> right? He was just, he he learned, right? Hmm, I don't okay. think he went to college, not by today's standards. Not by what I mean, we would call, I mean, uh, they had universities in the 70s. What I'm saying is that the enlightened know. philosophers, you know, yeah. learned. They, be, they became learned people, as they would say. Right. But uh, so that that certainly comes across. But that was he, what he was known for in his in his comedy. His comedy was very highbrow, yeah. very intellectual, and a lot of people didn't get it. There were quite a few comics that that said that you know he was brilliant. 
but they thought the audience was too stupid for him. Yeah, he was very critical of mm -hmm. the highbrow, like literati types, though. Mm -hmm. He's very right. smart and very well and very, I don't, I've read is the right word, but just really knows a lot about theater mm -hmm. and film and all that stuff, mm -hmm. that, all, all the arts in general. Basically, right. my parents used to have this bathroom at their house that was wallpapered in the style section from the New York Times from the <laughs> from about 1976 wow. to 1981. And so when I was growing up, I just read these articles all the time. And so it's like that everything that was written on that wall was something Woody Allen might talk about. It's yeah. really funny. Yeah. Like when I think back, I, I see things all the time. And I'm like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I know. Right, about right. That. Okay. Tony, Cur Tony Curtis looks exactly like Ron Perlman in this movie. Yeah, Tony, Tony Curtis is the guy from uh, Tony Roberts. No, you're right. Tony, Tony Roberts. Roberts yeah. Tony, yes. Tony Curtis. Roberts looks like Ron Perlman is in my notes. I have yeah. that written down. <laughs> Tony Curtis, that's uh, Spar uh, Spartacus, right? That's uh, Tony Curtis that was in Spartacus. Yes. Right, okay. Okay. Tony Robertson. I was, I, I saw him and I was like, what? Like, yeah. that, is that Ron Perlman? I, was I like, wrote no. the same like, thing. I said, he's I, not that, he's not that old, is he? Nope. Quote, unquote, he looks a bit like how I would imagine a young Ron Perlman. I wrote. <laughs> right. and, and, so, then I, and then I couldn't yeah. believe it because I was like, Ron Perlman would never be in anything this intellectual. <laughs> I was about to say no offense to Ron Perlman, but honestly, all offense to Ron Perlman. He's not the brightest bulb in the socket. Nice. Um, sorry. But, you know, he, he does more of a hellboy and uh, Sons of Anarchy. Um, Sons of Anarchy and stuff. The Beast. And, but, he played the Beast. He played the Beauty and the Beast, yeah. Who else is in this movie? You've got Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall shows up. And I was thinking, I, I, I thought The Shining was before this, but the book The Shining is before this movie. So it was The, the Shining was actually like 79 or 80. 80. Okay. I, okay, I, 80. I looked it up because I thought it was weird. I was like, she looks younger than she was in yeah. The Shining. And she is because it's a couple years yeah. before. And Carol Kane is Carol his, his, uh, his ex-wife. I, I don't think I've ever seen her not talk with a weird accent because she plays Latka's girlfriend on Taxi. Uh -huh. And she has a weird accent in The Princess Bride. And she has a that? weird accent in, in Scrooge when she plays. Yeah, was it Scrooge? I was going to say the ghost of uh, whatever Christmas, whatever present or like something. She's, she's hilarious, but yeah, I've she never seen hilarious. her talk like a normal person before. So that yes. was that, that threw me off. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of famous people. There's a whole bunch. Of, like Jeff Goldblum has a bit part. Jeff Goldblum. That was great. I like Yeah, he calls up. He's like, uh, yeah, I've uh, I forgot, I forgot my, my mantra. mantra. <laughs> yeah. Apparently Truman Capote showed up in the movie and I didn't see it. And I also saw that Sigourney Weaver has her first appearance in a film in this movie. And that I actually went back and looked for because I was thinking, God, was I not watching this movie? But it's because she's in the background as his girlfriend. Yeah, total background. Like, the Truman Capote is uh, when he's when he's remember when he talks to the horse and he's talking. He, yeah. He's just talking to people as they're or talking about people as they're passing by. And he's like, well, there's the winner of the Truman Capote lookalike contest. That was Truman Capote. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah I don't so. remember that line. But yeah, <laughs> strange coincidence is about New York is, do you know what I did for the first time in my life yesterday, right before I came home and watched this movie? Hold on. Don't tell me. Okay. It's got to be something that was in the movie that's very New Yorkish. Oh, yes. Um, something very New Yorkish. Something very in much the, in this movie. It, it was very much was in the movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's not something they walked past or something obscure. It's a part of the movie, especially of his childhood. Co well, Coney Island. You just told me, yeah. Not just Coney Island. I've been to Coney Island dozens uh, of times. It's right by my mother-in-law's place. I'd never ridden the cyclone in my entire life. Okay, so the cyclone. And so right. Michelle and I went. We took we took Cleo. We went to go ride the cyclone. They wouldn't let her on because you have to be 54 inches. 
So Michelle and I rode the, you know, we rode the cyclone yesterday. Michelle grew up right there. I mean, she was a little baby yeah. right across the street. Uh -huh. um, and neither of us had ever been on it before. And we just happened to go. And then we put on the movie. I was like, what the? That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. We an apartment, there. apartment underneath the cyclone. I thought that, yeah, was, that was funny. And then, and then uh, when they're driving out to Brooklyn to go visit his family, uh -huh. there's a scene where they're driving on the highway. And I was like, is that the Belt Parkway? Was that there in the 70s? And then they drive past the sign for the Fort Hamilton exit. And I was like, yep, that's the Belt Parkway. Uh, that was there. the Arizona Bridge. We were just yeah. there today. So It's kind of funny. And I, actually, I that's one of the things I enjoyed watching. No, it was when he was reminiscing. It's the very end when uh -huh. he's sort of like reminiscing and like, you know, and then we did this and we talked in this cafe or whatever. But there's they a get, part where a little montage of the rest of the yeah, movie. That part. But there's yeah. a part when they're just sitting there where they're standing off to the side. He uses a lot of negative space. So they'll they'll be off to like the the extreme right of the frame and everything else is going on on the on the rest in the rest of the of the frame. Okay. And so traffic is going by. And I'm just looking at the cars. I'm like, oh, there's an old Cor Stingray Corvette, and oh, there's an old, you know, Chevy Nova, and, and like as they're going by, because they're all 70s, right? Now it's this is 77, so it was shot 76, 75. So they've got cars from 72, 73, pre-embargo, basically. So it's all big sure. cars. It's yeah. kind of funny because this came out when the embargo happened, but all the cars you see were all pre-embargo cars because mm -hmm. it was shot before the embargo. It was so, shot before, yeah. Yeah, it's just a car geek. Thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, that um, makes sense. You know, we, we notice what we're interested in. I guess know? so. Yeah. So yeah. That definitely makes sense to me. <laughs> Paul Simon cracked me up. I thought that was Paul hilarious. Simon was pretty funny. He's, just, he's kind of creepy, creepy producer guy. Um, I like he, the idea I, of complaining that your apartment costs $400 a month. Yes. Yes. I was, I was thinking, boy, if I had, a, if, oh. if I could find an apartment for $400 a month, why wouldn't I rent that? I would just have that to keep my books or something that costs. Well, less and those are, those are the throwaway lines that he's famous for. He's like, He's like, come on, keep the apartment. Why would you move out of the apartment? Then he's like, and she's like, well, it's it's small and filled with bugs. And he's like, yeah, but you know, there's no big deal. And she's like, plus that apartment costs four hundred dollars. And he's like, four hundred dollars? That's a small, small apartment filled, filled with, with bugs. bugs. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that is. So, that's a well. That's a well written line. That's kind of like the. Um, that's kind of like the line where they're at the analyst. Which, by the way, I didn't realize this, but that's not a split screen. They filmed that scene with a wall between oh, back to back. Really? Yeah, back that's to back. Like the two things are going on at the same time. And uh, he's like, and the doctor's like, how often do you, how often do you have sex? And and he's like, oh, <laughs> that was hardly, great. hardly at all, three times a week. And she's like, constantly, three times a week. Yeah, constantly, three times a week. Yeah, those he's kind like of parallel. Uh, those yeah. kind of parallel lines are sort of his signature. I like that. Could you get away with that nowadays? Because he does a lot of man versus woman in this, right? It's, it's a lot of the battle of the sexes people type, that of, type of stuff. People that complain about it, but I don't know. Stereotypes of men and women, that's pretty normal. I mean, I don't know if would anybody really – I mean, somebody would complain. Oh, God. 99% of people me? would laugh along and one one person would complain. I don't know. Yeah, but they'd be, the la they'd be the loud lunatic at the back of the theater. Okay, so just, see, so just so you know, $400 a month, adjusting for inflation. Oh, okay. $2,079.50. Again, why would I not have it? $2,079. I mean, that's just a small place. I don't know. Maybe you could get an apartment somewhere in New York for that much, like a small. You can't, you can't get that. You get, you would get Harry like Potter's loft, loft under the stairs is where you, what you'd get for maybe. You'd be lucky I saw to get stuff, that. I saw stuff for rent in Manhattan in the $4,000 to $4,500 range that had more than one bedroom. So I think if you were out in Brooklyn or something, <clears> I think you could probably get something for $2,000 for a well, one then, bedroom. But then the way, it works, the way it works now, though, is you've got all the building fees and stuff, too. And 
come Christmas time, you're forking over a ton of money for everybody who works there. If you've got a only if you own, only if you own the place, only if you, well, own the place. Uh, you don't own true. the place, you know, but we don't do any of that. We don't, we don't, there's nobody. No. Although that's a pretty good point. We actually have a supervisor that works on the building. We probably should have given him something for Christmas. That would have been nice, <laughs> but honestly didn't think of it. But anyway, oh, well. note, note to self. Don't be such a jerk. <laughs> well, give him a bottle of something. Where do you land on the New York versus LA in this thing? I mean, you're, you're, Quasi familiar with both places, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, well enough to comment on it. What do you? What that's do you a really see. That's a really interesting. I don't like either place. Okay. <laughs> I would. I would. I'll take that back. I. W- I love both places. I would. I would live in neither place. Uh-huh. You're looking at 1977, which is a very different environment. You know, when they said they kept saying that New York is dying, there was urban decay was was going on. Uh, it was real in New York City. Oh, yeah. Culpable. I mean, places were closing and the, the middle uh-huh. of the city was just kind of going away. And you had all these like industrial parts in the middle of the city, which was weird, right? Now uh-huh. they're all condos and stuff, but I mean, yeah. or townhouses or whatever. But at the time, they were like, you know, factories. I mean, the factories are closing. And this had already happened to New York. Uh, I'm sorry, Detroit already happened to Chicago. Like New mm. York is kind of like the last bastion. LA at the time was sort of the land of opportunity. In, in the 70s, that was one of the only places that was still growing. L.A. wasn't the hellscape that it is now back then. I mean, L.A. was nice up until, I mean, it was still in the 2000s. It was still a really nice place. And then well, it kind of went, went to crap. For me, for me, growing up, California was always the like the land of the future. Like, right. I always felt right. like I lived on the East Coast and the East Coast was the past and the West Coast was the future. And I have to say, like in my adult life, I have not felt that way. Yeah. I felt like, I mean, I. I've learned to actually have some positive feelings about Los Angeles from having visited a lot more while living out West. It's harder to get to know Los Angeles. It's harder to get to appreciate it. The weather is phenomenal. I mean, yeah. Andrew, you can't, yeah. I mean, if you're in New York for the entire year, it's hard not to fantasize about a place like Los Angeles, <laughs> right. but you could at least right. have some kind of city and have the weather be decent for most of the year. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of problems there. And the whole car thing is kind of Golly. lame. The traffic yeah, is terrible. I guess what I'm saying is it's gotten to the point where I could list off the pros and cons of both of those places. And New York is way more in a tie with LA than it was when I was a kid. LA yeah. seemed like you said, like the land of, you know, the land of milk and honey when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, sure. And it's yeah. does not seem like that to me now. Not it's anymore. cool. It's not cool. Anymore. It's a cool place in a lot of ways. But I never I lived live in New LA. York. If somebody said you could move to LA tomorrow and live mm-hmm. there, I wouldn't like jump at the chance. I, I'd right. say it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be a hundred percent an improvement. If not you did LA. it in January, yeah, LA. I might say yeah. yes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, how about during July? In July, I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. it'd be. I mean, New York hits its spots in September and October. Where it's I've better. never been to New York and, and not had a wonderful time. But well, yeah. You know, the the most I've ever stayed is the most I've ever stayed is maybe a week and a half, two weeks, something like that in New York. But see, I never lived in Southern California. I lived in the Bay Area, which is a totally different experience. It's totally like a different completely experience. different state. You know, Northern totally different uh, California versus they still got a lot of the, a lot of the same problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that goes throughout the state. Actually, San Francisco, I think has some of the problems of both. It's different yeah. in some ways. And it, it, it's got some of the weather of Southern California, but not yeah. really. And it's, it's tightly packed like New York and has the dirt and the sort of homelessness and stuff yeah. like that. It's unavoidable, yeah. Yeah, but it also has true. some car problems. It's kind of hard to get around the Bay. And yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I love that city too. Honestly, if somebody said I could live in San Francisco, I probably would think a lot more seriously about it. I really do like that place. That place is a war zone, man. No, I I know it is. But I I will say this. It's always been sketchier than New York. In my lifetime, mm -hmm. San Francisco has always been scarier than New York. Yeah. When you walk around San Francisco, I've never been there 
and not been like I wish I had like I wish I was armed when I'm walking. Really? I've never, never felt I've that never, way in New York. I back before it got bad. I was you know it, it wasn't that it wasn't that bad. It's bad now, but I will say this though: there is you know there is a a real dynamic, and a lot of this movie. And I, I'm going to put this out there: people might not like this, but it's my okay. observation. This is a very much inside baseball type of movie. <clears throat> this is meta, as we would call it. Oh, right. Yeah. This is made about show business. This is a movie about show business, about show business insiders and yeah, critics yeah, like critics lo- love that. Okay. Critics love that kind of thing for some reason. I don't know why, but it's like who framed Roger Rabbit was all inside baseball type of stuff. They loved it. Um, anytime you have a movie that has that kind of dynamics, La La Land or whatever, they love mm-hmm. it. Like they, they oh, yeah. because they're part of it. I mean, they're right. part of that world, right? right? And right. so this movie on the East Coast, you've got Broadway, you've got stand-up, um, and you've got writing. On the West Coast, you've got uh, sitcoms, you've right. got you know The Tonight Show, and you've got music, right? And that that is still sort of the divide. I mean, if you if you're a writer, all the publishing houses are still in New York, unless you're a writer of sitcoms and that kind of crap. But then it's all on the West Coast, right, mm-hmm. with the studios. Even the new studios are out there, although Amazon and I think Netflix are building something here in New Mexico. But, okay. you know, the main motherships are still in, in California. But if I want to go to to like HarperCollins or I want to pitch, you know, Hatchet Books or something like that, I have to go to New York, you know, because uh-huh. that's where they're all at. So that divide is still very much there. And obviously Broadway and live type of acts, it's all still in New York. So that it's funny because this is 1977. And that's sort of the dynamic or dichotomy, I guess, rather than dynamic, but the dichotomy that he's presenting. And that still mm-hmm. exists, which is how many years later, 50 years, 40 years later. It, I thought I found that that interesting that that hasn't changed when you're in those world. Something else I'll say about the apocalypse of downtown L.A. and the apocalypse mm-hmm. of Central Park. If you're in a bubble, you're in those worlds and you're doing well, you really don't see that. It doesn't really affect you that much. Uh, You're talking so that, specifically about the forest fire smoke thing, or no, no, no. I'm talking about like the homeless and and the oh. meth heads and all that other stuff that you. Oh, you we know, don't. That's going on. To be honest, we don't have that here. It, yeah, you don't well, see that in New York. In LA, you got but, it. But but the I problem, mean, there are homeless people here, but it's just like it always was. We don't have the, we don't have the encampments of homeless people like you see. Like DC has that. Like I've been back yeah. to DC a bunch of times recently, and I would say it has changed a lot more than than New York. New York, LA's like- LA's definitely got it. And, I've heard and, that. and all I'm saying is that, that if you're not, if you're in the world of entertainment and you're doing mm-hmm. well, which both Annie Hall and his buddy Rob and, and so forth, if you're like them, Paul Simon, you don't mm-hmm. see it, you know, it doesn't affect you because you, you don't live in that world, right, man? You're, you're up in the hills. I think that's more notable about Los Angeles. I think in LA, people can yeah. remove themselves. And I think unless you're like when Donald Trump is going around Manhattan, he's in an armored limo and does not yeah. interact with the city. But, <laughs> right. but you see you see celebrities just walking down the street here. And they're, mm-hmm. I think, almost, you know, even on the train, you know, you see people and they're just as con- they're confronting all the stuff the same as anybody else. And I think right. people are more likely to take a car these days because of Uber. But you're pretty much you're pretty much in the thick of things in New York. It's kind of hard to get away from whatever's going on. And I think that's why New York has always remained a little more sane 
than some of these other places because there's always this element of things go things go to heck a little bit and then all of a sudden everybody's like well, wait a minute wait a minute i gotta ride the train i got i yeah that's great defund the police and everything but i'd like to survive my my daily commute you know yeah, so we do yeah. need police like so it only lasts it, it it goes back to normal pretty fast here because you just mm-hmm. have to get by like there's no it's why people are more socially liberal, but it's also why people are, at the end of the day, they, they're pretty conservative in terms of like, I think everybody realizes this place would fall apart pretty fast if we didn't have some kind of, you know, civilization. Keeping well, there's them. a, yeah, there's, you know, New York has, and we'll get off New York, ladies and gentlemen, in just a minute. Yeah, talk that's about true. We're not really but I'll, I'll just say that there's yeah. a, there is a special kind of social contract in New York that I, I've never felt anywhere else. Yeah, there's a, a contract, a social contract where, you know, you're expected to do certain things, expected to get out of the way if somebody's in a hurry getting off the train early in the morning. You know, you're I mean, there are certain expectations of you being there. And I think if if everybody holds that contract, everything's smooth, right? Uh, everything mm-hmm. runs well. There are certain monkey wrenches that are thrown in, like crazy people going down the subway platform and, oh, and yeah. so forth, which is, you know, serious stuff. But for the most part, I think you're right. There's, there's, I've never felt that anywhere else. There's not this kind of camaraderie of people because we live in the same city, you know, anywhere else other than New York city. So, all right. So that aside, right. uh, we've talked about Rob. All right. So tell me your laugh out loud moments on this movie. I had a few. So there's some that are just on the surface of it. Super funny still to okay. this day. A lot of like it what? is you have to, you have to put yourself in the mentality Well, you don't have to. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to. You can laugh at this movie on the surface. But if you put yourself in the mindset of what you would have seen in 1977 being done in comedy, it becomes ridiculously funny. You could realize how this would have hit you. The only thing I've ever seen that kind of compares to it is the first time I saw Train Spotting. I remember thinking, I've never seen anything like this. This is (laughs) the way they're doing this movie. Over the top. It's hilarious. And and everything metatextual about it is just perfect. And I just love it. But you fall into a toilet. The the bit where they're in the elementary school classroom. Uh And uh, and he tries (laughs) to kiss the little girl. And he kisses the little like, girl. And he's like, I just had like a healthy sexual curiosity. <laughs> like, oh, come on. Even Freud talked about a lady. Yeah, I know, right, right. <laughs> like that right. stuff's pretty, even putting that stuff into the yeah. mouths of children is pretty funny today. And it would have been really yeah. funny 50 years ago, you know? So right. th- that's some of the, and like I said, the, the the lines, like you said, the parallel lines that we talked about before, are just really well written and just still funny. They're like, I don't know, the best, the best lines of Shakespeare that occasionally hold up and are still funny, you know, because they're just mm-hmm. so well-crafted that they hit you they're like yes that's funny that's what you maybe don't it's not like being punched in the gut and you want to laugh out loud but you you appreciate it you're like ah yeah that was that's that's pretty well, there good. there are some stupid lapstick moments that uh-huh. i saw coming but it still made me laugh the, the cocaine scene the cocaine bit is probably the number I, I one mean, yeah it, it's just like you knew that was going to happen but yep. it's still i still laughed i still I still guffawed. They had to rewrite that scene or they didn't not rewrite it, but they had to sort of reshoot it because uh-huh. the crowd laughed so hard that it it ate up a couple of the funnier lines that happened right after. Oh, that. afterwards. So they had to pause. stop. Yeah. They just had yeah. to stop it. Yeah. So. That uh, I think the, the psychologist or the analyst part where how often do you have sex? Yes. Hardly ever. Yeah. Three times a week. All the time. Three Constantly, times a week. Yeah. That made me laugh out loud. Yep. The That one part where they're in the theater, and I can't remember the guy who he was referencing. There's this this film Marshall critic McLuhan, behind him. Where he calls yeah, Marshall, Marshall McLuhan. McLuhan to help Marshall him out. McLuhan yeah, thinks blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah. you don't know anything about me. <laughs> He's like, how did, you don't understand how did they let my you work teach anything? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was hilarious. That's great. Um, That's classic. It's all, I mean, I think... Know, it's all, 
it's all fantasy. Anybody it's all, can relate it, to that. It's all stuff that you want to happen. Like you right. would love to be able to do that kind of yes. crap. Funny. It's uh childish and funny. Those are good. <sighs> I think anybody who's ever had an argument over Facebook, which I think is everyone on yeah. the last 20 years, um, would love to have to be able to bring Marshall McLuhan in to just shut right. somebody up. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. I but think I think it's so uh, much it's so much better to do it in person though. You know, he's like, oh, really? Oh, yes. Really? Oh, let me, I've got him right here. Oh, yes. <laughs> he pulls him out oh, from yes. Behind the sign, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So stupid. I mean, and, and it's, and that's the thing. It's just dumb and funny. So, okay. so I think okay. we need to talk about, I think we need to talk about the elephant in the room a little bit, though. I think we need okay. to talk about Woody Allen. How are you, how did you do with watching Woody Allen in this movie? Okay. Having, a, and how much do you know and how much, how much are you aware of of the story, like the the behind right. the behind the camera? I'm going to use a, a scene in the movie to segue into that. Okay. 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 There's a scene in the movie where uh, it's it's towards the end of the movie. Woody has been or Alvy has been arrested, put in jail because he right. bumper card a bunch of cars and then tore up his driver's license in front of the cop and says, "I just have a problem with authority." And so his friend Rob. Gets him out. Okay. Right. Do you remember what Rob tells him he was doing when he, when, what he called? Yes. He, he called, okay. Yes. How, okay. So he said, he says, yeah, you're right. he, he tells Alvy, he's like, Alvy, what do you think I was doing? Yeah. When, right. when you called me? And he's like, I don't know, probably with the, probably with the girl. And he says, twins, Alvy. <laughs> Yeah, and then he then what was the next thing out of his mouth? And then he says they were sixteen. Yeah, that's, they were uh, sixteen. The mathematical yep. possibilities were endless. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. This is nineteen seventy seven, Dave. Yeah, this isn't nineteen oh seven. Which may or may not, depending on where you live, be criminal. I don't think that actually oh. is criminal in most places. Weirdly enough, that's, and I can't remember. Well, okay. I can't remember why, but we had to look this up. We had to He's, look this up for one of these shows. And I was like, yeah. God, I wish this wasn't in my circus. <laughs> right. Like, there is no way, though, that Tony Roberts' Rob is a day less than like 43 years old in oh, that, yeah, in that yeah, movie. Guys. 16 years old, twins. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's yep. that's what Woody Allen wrote in 1977. He wrote that scene. He could have said been Brickman. It might have been Brickman that wrote it. He, he could have. Well, he could have. He could have said, well, that's a bit much. Woody Allen although, might have written they were nine and then and Brickman although, changed it. <laughs> although we as we've talked about, what's her name in Indiana Jones was supposed to be 16 as well. Yeah, or yeah, very young. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah. you know, there's maybe there's I don't know. But in any case, so now the elephant in the room is Woody Allen likes young people. Perhaps. Well, so okay. So all I know about is I know about obviously I mean the big one is that he married his stepdaughter. Which, yeah, just uh, how does that happen? How do you let that? I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't know. How do you no, ever no. think that's okay? How do so you? There's, there's, there's some other weird parts. Okay, so Mia Farrow. No, there's more. Was, there's more, but so it was Mia Mia Farrow's stepdaughter. It wasn't his stepdaughter. No, it was, Mia he, it was Mia Farrow's adopted daughter. And okay. Then, oh no, wait, he never actually they, married. Mia they Farrow. never married. He, yeah, they never right. married. Okay, okay. okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so Fair there's enough. some weird parallels here. There's this whole this there's a whole discussion in Annie Hall about you have your apartment, I have my apartment. Okay. Okay. He and Mia Farrow had apartments on the opposite sides of Central Park. They didn't live together. Okay. He would go over and sleep with her. She'd go over and sleep with him. They did not live together. It was like right out of that movie. I mean, it was a philosophy. I think that was his real philosophy. Like, okay, you have your place, I have my place. We're not going to marry. And so, but I think. 
So he adopted. Okay, so Ronan Farrow, I believe, is his child. I think. Okay, so there's there's questions about that. Maybe not. Ronan Farrow looks nothing is, like him. I will say Ronan that. Ronan Farrow is acknowledged as being Woody Allen's son, but Woody yeah. Allen himself has pointed out the fact that he believes Frank Sinatra is Ronan Farrow's father. Well, I will say if he looks look, more like Frank Sinatra. If you look at the pictures, <laughs> if you look at the pictures of young Frank Woody Sinatra Allen. and Ronan yeah. Farrow next to each other, it, yeah. it, I, I think it's more likely it'd be some stranger that looks a lot like Frank Sinatra. Right. Frank, who right. is, is Ronan's father, but it's it's uncanny. He looks so, nothing like he looks, he looks nothing, nothing like, like you don't get he has no features Farrow, at Woody all. Allen, you yeah. do not get no features Ronan. at all. No. Um, and then and then also Mia Farrow's daughter he adopted, right. and then okay. another girl that that Mia Farrow adopted. No, another son I think that Mia Farrow adopted. He also adopted. So he is okay, but they were never married. It's really weird. So they weren't married. They didn't live together. And this Sun Li, Sun Yi, Sun Yi, Sun Yi, was an adopted daughter, right, from Mia Farrow and a previous husband. Yes. Okay. And like from reading about her history, clearly mm-hmm. a horribly traumatized child. Yeah, very, very, very. From what happened to her? Yeah. I think she was adopted when she was somewhere between five and seven years old. But was living on the streets, like eating out of garbage cans, and was, I think she saw her parents killed in front of her. I don't remember just, what just, happened to her, but but she was non liter she was not able to speak any language yeah. when she came to yeah. America. I mean, really, really vulnerable person. You'd have mm-hmm. to assume, right? And that's um that 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 whole situation is just yeah, super super so, creepy. I've read I've read his. It's almost as if the rules about getting married and having children when you're married are designed. To prevent there being strange conflicts of parentage and like who, right. you know, it's almost like families don't work very well if you don't have some rules structuring them. Yeah. You're yeah. not just, you know, everybody's dating each other and running running across the park to find a girlfriend and who's got yeah. an adopted kid from four different, you know, it's almost like mm-hmm. that's not a great idea, but whatever. Maybe I'm just a, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just old, an old man. Old, old, old fashioned dude. His statements and, and from what he's written about it, said about it and everything else he absolutely believes there's just nothing wrong with what he did he just they fell in love with each other uh, she i don't know i'm not going to defend the guy weird it's weird uh the other the other elephant though is the potential molestation of pharaoh's daughter, daughter. Well, uh what was her what was her name i can't remember she's uh, a daughter named it, ronan uh, the son no, is named Ro- ronan and yeah. the daughter has a name that sounds like a boy's name because i that's who i looked up first dylan is it dylan Dylan, yes, Dylan. Dylan, right. okay, Dylan, That's yes, it. yes, thank you. So Dylan Farrow has accused Woody of molesting her, right? And a, and a babysitter was a witness to some of the behavior and stuff like it, but somehow the court didn't find it as being. They yeah, there. So there have been like I think two or three different investigations: the court, uh, the state, and and the police or something like that. And they've all dismissed it. Uh, they they've said that right. she was untrustworthy as a witness. And uh, something about the babysitter being, you know, being paid off or something like that for it. Apparently, this all came about when he and Mia Farrow were in the midst of a big right. schism. And that's when all this happened. So that that throws suspicion on it as well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those things like, I don't know. We talked about Roman Polanski. What he did, definitely he did, <laughs> which was sodomize a yeah. 14-year-old girl. Yeah, I don't um, think there's much question about that. Yeah, He's, no, he absolutely and, and it did. was not... And it was not even remotely, arguably okay. Or no, no, there's he, no he tra- mitigating he drugged circumstances. Her, drugged her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Angelica Houston walked in on him. Said, "This is what happened." 
So that that's a different story, right? Bill Cosby, for those that that were, he was found guilty for, yeah. you know, they were legitimate. There's a lot of accusations. I don't know, but those he was found guilty for certain ones. Right. This one's a weird one. There's a lot of accusations, a lot of innuendo. I don't know, man. And and but it's like it's think, it's what I'm saying about it. if you if you have this bohemian belief that mm-hmm. family structures are outdated things and you should just sleep with whoever you want to sleep with and blah, 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 blah. This is the kind of crap that happens. Yeah, this because is. you say yeah, to yourself, absolutely. hey, why, you know, I'm not technically her father. I'm not right. married to her mother. Right. Why not go out with it? You know, she's, a, she's like, over 18. He waited frankly, until she was 18. She's waited until she frankly, was 18, the age so. difference. I don't care. That's fine. That's yeah. le- that's 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 legal. That's fine. Yeah. You know, two two consenting adults. It's a little creepy. I myself i'm 45 if i was ever single i sure as heck wouldn't date a 21 year old that would be really weird <laughs> right, and i right. wouldn't have anything to talk to them about right. but it's legal but he should have just been he should have just been like no you know what why does this need to be a part of my life what why do i need to be involved in this kind of thing and it, well, and it almost certainly to me is that something was going on before and especially because there's a pattern of him being accused of this sort of thing to me i the reason why People are accusing him multiple times of, of molesting children because he's probably molesting children. And it's pretty hard to prove in a court of law. But, right. you know, that that seems to me like something pretty bad. And people who joke about being perverts oftentimes actually are. Yeah. You know, you're talking about there's a thing you said about the 16 year old. There's the thing about he kissed a girl when they when he was six years old because, yeah. yeah. you know, that to me, like I said, where there's smoke, there's fire. I think there's probably something going on right. there. So. Uh, we're getting kind of close to our time. Do you, did are. you have anything that surprised you here? Do you have anything else you wanted to say about well, that? No, this, this, is yours. <clears throat> this is yours. This is yours. What's your biggest? That's surprise? a pretty important part of this discussion of Woody Allen and the molestation mm-hmm. accusations. Is pretty important. So, is there anything else that you wanted to say about that before we move on to the biggest surprise? No, that has been flogged in cultural media over and over mm-hmm. and over, and, and I, I don't think it'll ever be settled. This is one of those things that no, I, I don't think there's it's ever going to be settled because it hasn't yet. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I think Woody Allen has a lot of lot of people that that really back him. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't. He's not. When I say canceled, I'm just saying that there's a movement to cancel him. It, it didn't really happen. No, but I think I there mean, are those. This... Like if you if you say if you say around a certain company, oh, I love Woody Allen. I think that you would get yeah looked at askew if you know what I mean. So well, um, it's like I told you before. Rosemary's Baby is like one of my wife's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Like I'll come right. home and just see her watching that movie. She just loves that movie, and she knows about Roman Polanski and completely dis- disapproves. But that's a great, movie. you know. And Woody Allen, this whole thing came out like in the late nineties. Yeah, that, does that yeah. sound right? And yeah, and he's had big films, successful yeah. films. Match Point is two thousand three or something like yeah, that. Midnight yeah. in Paris is two thousand eleven. I mean, he's put out movies right. since then that have been critically well well uh, received. Yeah, to some extent, I think it's because people always loved him so much, and he makes very good movies. He's very funny. But it's also because maybe they just kind of don't believe it, choose not to believe it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyway, so biggest surprise, anything you hadn't seen this. So you had you, you were coming into it pretty cold. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen it. I guess my biggest surprise was, and this isn't is sort of the movie, but I, I uh-huh. didn't realize how prolific he was. Uh-huh. You know, um, yeah. the guy worked his butt off. He was right. He started writing when he was, I think, 15 or 16, started writing jokes and selling them to to comedians. By the time he was 18, he was writing stuff like monologues for for different, you know, different not the Tonight Show, but different shows like that, and mm-hmm. and writing stand up and writing skits and writing. I mean, he the guy was just a phenom. And we didn't even age. talk about his theater career. His theater yeah, career, yeah, yeah. 
Oh yeah, huge, huge, huge. theater career. He, he's he's um, in uh, Play It Again, Sam, which he wrote and directed on on, on Broadway. Diane Keaton and and uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember Robert's first name. He's uh, Tony. Tony Roberts. Tony they Roberts, were both yeah. in that production. That's where he met right. them. He had this very successful theater period before. Yeah, well, played against Sam was hugely successful. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's where Diane Keaton like launched her career from. Right. Um, I think that's where the, the two of them like sort of began. Probably, yeah. I I had no idea, and and like the and then the stand up comedy too. Add, mm-hmm. add on top of that, so he was he was writing just like in Annie Hall. He was writing for comedians. He's like, these guys suck, you know. I can do this myself, and so he did it himself, and was even better at it, and uh, became a very prolific comedian. And, but wasn't satisfied with that. Started writing movies, and then started directing mm-hmm. movies. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, there's a reason why he's put on a mountain, right? He's like a Mount yeah, Rushmore yeah. Of, of comedy yeah. geniuses. And yeah, uh, he's one of the he's one of the ten most important figures, maybe in American arts in the '70s. Is he like kind of our our Oscar Wilde type of type of guy? It's not a bad Maybe. comparison. It's not a bad comparison, and probably for the for the for the time, Oscar Wilde's life would have been equally controversial, right? Yeah, yeah, because for he had sure. The, yeah, the conviction for homosexuality mm-hmm. and things right. like that. Like, yeah. So to to people living then, they probably would have said, "Oh, well, he should be canceled because of his yeah. horrible behavior." But we'll yeah. look at and I, I don't but mean to so compare. <laughs> those, I don't mean to compare yeah. those two things. Those are not the same yeah. thing. Sure, but, sure, yeah. But you're talking about community standards and stuff like yeah. that, which differ over well, the years, which is a whole different interesting discussion about canceling right. somebody is, is community standards. But anyway, my biggest surprise, and I'm going to keep it small. Uh, I, I, there were, you know, I'd seen this before. One, one of the biggest ones is how funny it remains after all these years mm-hmm. and how it really did, I think, deserve Best Picture for that year, despite going up against Star Wars, which was an equally huge and influential movie. But I never thought about before how this movie so one movie I really like from the eighties when Harry met Sally, yeah. love that movie. Like, oh yeah. Terrific movie. That movie's like almost a remake of Annie Hall. Yeah. It's so much like Annie Hall. Yeah. It's got a, a few different themes, but otherwise there's, there's the, the LA New York thing. There's the Jewish guy and the not, I, you know what? That's not true. I, I don't remember if Billy Crystal's character is Jewish, but he seems like, I don't know. <laughs> it seems there's, it. there's a guy named Ira, but that's not actually his character. Anyway, let's leave that aside, but it's, um, it's very similar and it has the flashbacks yeah. to when they're young, but they're still played by them as adults. It's very, very yeah. similar movie, but, and, and equally, yeah. I think an intelligent script and, and a really funny movie that holds up. But anyways, I, that surprised me. I hadn't really thought of those two things together. I guess we should probably talk about whether or not we're going to toast this one. Well, that's up to you. And, now, this, the way this works, ladies should and we just yeah. leave aside the question oh. of whether we cancel Woody Allen and just talk about this movie without? Well, that? we ha- we always have to, we have before when we talked about okay. Bill Cosby, we talked about we Bill Cosby, talked about him as, okay. as a comedian, and and we and we talked about his work. Actually, we didn't talk about him as a comedian. We talked right. about the particular work, and it was um, to my brother, whatever, who I slept to with. my brother Russell, with whom whom I slept with, slept yes. with, right. Same Which with George is Carlin. by far our most popular episode ever, by the way. <laughs> well, so hopefully was, talking about a yeah. controversial figure accused of you know sexual crimes is, is right, the ticket right. to having a big episode. Right. So we'll, we'll see. Or poten- potentially, yeah. Right. I, I guess we can't do anybody who's proven. But in any case, so we're, we are toasting the movie, not uh, Woody Allen. Not the guy. Okay, right. We'll right. just talk about the movie. So okay. I just before you get into yours, because you're the deciding vote. No, no, you are. This is my pick. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. see, I'm thinking of this as being something that's so much from my background that I think of this as being <laughs> right. my pick, but this was totally your yeah. pick, wasn't it? This movie's still funny. Woody Allen is a huge cultural force and a cultural icon. There's a statue of him in Oviedo, Spain, 
And you know exactly who you're looking at when you see this bronze statue of Woody Allen. There's nobody else who looks like Woody Allen. If this hadn't happened, this whole crazy thing, he'd be like considered a national treasure, I think, today, like Bob Hope or something. Right. Uh, This whole thing that we've talked about has kind of ruined that legacy to some extent. If nothing else, it's ruined that legacy. Nobody ever said anything like that about Bob Hope that I'm aware of. This film is, I think, brilliant. I think it really takes in a lot of things that were going on in in really serious film and introduced them to American movie audiences for the first time. You know, it's not the first time you ever saw somebody break the fourth wall, probably, but that used along with bringing in almost like a, like a Romana clay where like Marshall McLuhan shows up in the middle of the movie and Truman Capote walks by. There are these cultural, cultural figures, people in the cultural discourse. I, I just think all of that's brilliant. And I think it holds up and, if you can't realize it's brilliant, you need to sit down and think about where people would have been sitting in a movie theater in 1977, which is kind of the same thing you have to do with the first Star Wars film. When you watch that, you have to be like, what had you seen before 1977? You never saw anything that compared to either two of these films. These films are gigantically different than anything that came before. And I think that uh, I think we got to vote for it. I think Annie Hall deserved to win the best picture. I think it's a I think it's a classic film. I think it might stand up as his if it's not his best movie, it's like his flagship. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually really like Match Point. I thought Match Point was terrific. And I really enjoyed Midnight in Paris and I enjoyed Sleeper and a couple of things before this. But th- this is his flagship movie. And I might show this to somebody if they didn't know who Woody Allen was and be like, this is who Woody Allen is. And also the raping children. But, you know, other than that, <laughs> other than that, as a, as a director and an actor, you know, as a director and an actor, in. this is who he is. Uh-huh. So right. um, I'm gonna go ahead and raise my glass or my uh, right. my free yeah. Yankees cup as as is my want nice. to drink from lately. So cheers, All cheers. Right. Well, I've seen the classic I'm, stamp of approval on this one. I'm glad to hear it. I like. Uh, <laughs> okay, slip that one part in. We yeah. we will leave that part out. I'm not or... cutting that. I'm not cutting that okay. part. Out. <laughs> yeah, that's so, that's gonna stay in my right. movie. I think I think it's only fair um, <laughs> that I mention that. He yeah, does have gotta that leave, gotta leave that part in. That's right. Yeah, so. Well, fantastic. um, Thank you. uh, Thank you for doing that. Our next episode is coming up. What are we going to do for the next one? Next episode is going to be a free choice. And I am going to a particular concert in the near future as a birthday Mm -hmm. gift. So we're going to be doing the 1989 Cure album Disintegration. We're going to talk about that next time on Toasting the Classics. So can't wait. For Dave MacArthur, I'm saying goodbye. And for Clint Lanier, thank you for joining us, everybody. Peace out, everybody. Bye. That's it for episode 79 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some lime juice, triple sec, and vodka and mix them up for our discussion of the 1989 Cure album, Disintegration. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know your thoughts on Woody Allen's work and problematic biography. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at Nuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.